good. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your presence. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to speak to each and every one of us through your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that as I share your word today, that you would help me to communicate your heart and that you and that you would work in each and every one of our lives. Lord, may, may we leave this place with a sense of faith, a sense of divine purpose and hope in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you will meet each and every one through the work of your Spirit at our point of need, that we may be a blessing in our world this week. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Come on, let's thank our worship team who uh, do such a great job. And uh, just to reiterate what uh, Jacob said, just a big thank you to everyone who came out yesterday and made yesterday such a great day um, um, for, uh, for, our, uh, for our church and, and, and for what we want to do in the community. We've always been a church that wants to make a difference in the community and take the church to the people. So it was a great time, and I know that Jacob said that there were 250 people we served, but the reality is that many of those people represented multi not just their family, but multiple families. So the impact that we had as a church uh, was, was greater than even the number of people that came. So thank you for making that possible. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you. And... Uh, yeah, good to be here. School is back, and all the parents are saying, thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Maybe not. I know for us, our daughter, she doesn't start actually until the beginning of September, so all the schools are start, you know, kind of staggered different times. But after 18 months of at-home schooling, I am thanking God for a return to in-school classes. And I spoke to the principal of the Santa Ana School yesterday, and they were having orientation there, and he was talking about how excited they are about the fact that school has opened up and the kids are coming to school. And he was so blessed by our church and uh, came, took photographs. He said, do you mind if I take photographs? We're going to uh, communicate what you did here and uh, he was really uh, encouraged. So it was great to connect with the principal, not just use the venue, but we're developing and building bridges in that, in that community. And there are many, many people there who are asking us, start a service here. Start a service, a Spanish-speaking service here. Giancarlo, start a Spanish-speaking service here. So anyway, it was a great day, and... Uh, it was awesome. Good to have Daisy Messiah here with us. And uh, she came up to me during the worship, gave me a big hug. I thought, who's this woman giving me a hug here? And it was her. She looks different. And you're looking fantastic. Good to see you. She's a great part of our church. How old were you when you started coming to our church? Nine years old. And now she's in college, Bible college in Nashville, Tennessee. Can't wait to come back to the promised land. And uh, so always good to see her. She's a great part of our family. We love her dearly. All right, I'm speaking about rest. Anyone need some rest? Rest and restoration is the theme. And yes, last week I started speaking about 
rest and uh, the reality of what it means to have true rest. I want to start reading a, a, a passage of Scripture that, where Jesus spoke about how you and I can experience true rest. Take a deep breath. Now rest. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I'm going to read that now from the message translation of the Bible. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus talked about how you and I can experience rest. There's a difference between having a rest and experiencing rest. Experiencing true rest. And he says, if you come to me, I am going to enable you to experience true rest that is not determined by your circumstances, not determined by your situation, not determined by maybe the turmoil or the trouble that's going on around about you, not determined by any inner worries or anxieties or stresses that you may be struggling with, but is a result of a rest that I can give you in me that's not based on a place, that's not based on a time, that's not based on anything else other than your relationship with me. Jesus says that true rest is found in relationship with him. Jesus says, come to me. And last week I touched on three things that I want to pick up on and maybe expand a little bit uh, about this week. He talked about three things that we can do. I wonder if I'm going to test you, those that were here last week. I wonder if you can remember. Now, I want to say this right at the very beginning. Can I encourage you? Uh, I wish Di was here with her notebook. Come here, Di. Show me your notebook. Uh, uh, Daisy, stand up and show everybody Di's notebook here. Okay? Di writes notes. And, she, yes, come on, Daisy. Come bring, bring this, bring this to me. Thank you, Daisy. So, she writes notes. I mean, look at this. Like, progress, here and now, empowered, change. She, she has this journal, and she writes her notes in this journal every now and again. She has them in her in our, in our bookcase. I can go all the way back to uh, 20 years. And if I want to remember something I said, you know where I look? I look in Di's notebook. She keeps notes on everything I say. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and, and I go back and I read it. Now, can I encourage you to take notes? Because the reality is that 
I, I, I'm just like you. If I don't take notes, I think I'll remember, but I, the reality is I don't remember. But when we take notes, and it's a proven fact that when you, when you not only hear something, but you, you write it down and then you read it later, your retention increases exponentially. And what they've also discovered is that when you write it by hand, your retention increases. It is greater than typing it in your iPhone with your thumbs. So somehow the, the actual act of writing, thank you, Daisy, for your assistance there. Um, the actual act of writing helps to kind of cause you to retain it in your mind. So can we be a note-taking church? Let's take notes because by doing that, you're going to remember. I mean, you know, there may be only one thing I say every week, probably only one thing, just one little thing, but it might be that golden gem of truth that helps you during the week. So here we go, all right? So uh, three things. Oh, that's right, getting back to your little test. Three things Jesus says. Number one, first of all, walk with me. Secondly, work with me. Thirdly, watch me. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch me. I talked about those three things, and I want to, want to move into the part where Jesus says, watch me. But first of all, Jesus says, walk with me. I heard someone say once, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because we become like the people that we walk with. David said in Psalm 1, blessed are those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And if we are going to walk with Jesus, what are we going to experience? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We're going to experience peace and rest as we walk with Him. So first thing, walk with Jesus. And maybe that means taking a walk. If you've got a dog, take your dog for a walk and talk to Jesus. I do that and my dogs think I'm talking to them, but I'm talking to Jesus. Interspersed every now and again by heel, heel, no, Coda, Winston. Anyway, that's the name of our dogs, two of them. So walk with him. Secondly, work with him. Work with him or work with me. Jesus says, take upon yourself my yoke. Well, what is a yoke? We're not familiar with that because we haven't, most of us haven't grown up in an agricultural society and most uh, farming uh, machines are, are now mechanic, you know, are, are you know, modern engines, not, not, then we're not plowing with oxen now. We have plows and tractors and so on and so forth. But a yoke was a, literally a cross beam that was put between two animals on their necks that joined them together and harnessed them together so that they could work together to plow the field or to pull a cart or whatever it is. And Jesus uses that interesting term because he says, work with, uh, work with me, and he talks about that Take upon yourself my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, in other words, Jesus wants us to work with him. 
Some people think that heaven is going to be a place where we sit on clouds and play harps. That there is going to be no work in heaven. I don't know whether this is bad news this morning, but I've got news for you this morning. We're going to be working in heaven. And here's the difference. When we're in heaven, we're not going to be worn out by the work. We're going to be energized by the work. And I want to get to that because Jesus wants us to be energized by our work, not just in heaven, but here on earth. Because we can experience that when we're in Christ, where we're not constantly worn out by our work, but we're energized by our work because we are partnering with Christ. Now, here's the point. When you are yoked together, so the first thing that Jesus is saying, hey, hey, I want you to walk with me, but I also want you to work with me. And that's a huge privilege. Think about the privilege that we have of working with Jesus. Think about of all the billions of people on the planet that you and I have that privilege of being able to work with Jesus to see his kingdom come and his will be done. And Jesus says, if you're going to work with me, the only way that you're going to be able to work with me is if, and walk with me is if you are in, uh, if you are working in alignment with me, if you are walking with me. So the yoke kept the two oxen together. One could not walk in one direction and one the other, as happens when I walk my dogs. They have to walk together. And so the yoke was there so that they could walk together. And very often, they would put a more experienced ox with an inexperienced ox so that the inexperienced ox would learn by walking with the more experienced ox. And one of the ox would, oxen would take the lead. And Jesus is wanting to take the lead in our lives. The problem is, very often, we want to take the lead. Thank you for that underwhelming response. We want to go in one direction, and Jesus is saying, I want you to go in this direction. We need to allow him to take the lead. Now, I am not a great dancer. Don't ask my wife about this, but I'm not a great dancer. But one thing that I do know about this, about dancing, is that someone needs to take the lead. So, there's a leader and there's a follower if you're dancing in partnership. The leader communicates the patterns of a dance through decisive movement. The follower is sensitive to the signals of the leader and responds accordingly. If both are trying to lead, then you're going to end up stepping on each other's feet. You're going to end up uncoordinated, and it's not going to be a pretty sight. Leading and following and I'm reading a quote here, is the primary ingredient in social dancing. And so a leader, to dance properly, there needs to be a leader and a follower. Are you following what I'm saying? And if we want to walk with Jesus, if we want to dance with Jesus, then we need to allow him to take the lead. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to walk with me. And here's the thing, if we, I was talking with... Um, Nick Lagern before the service, having a coffee out there, and Nick was talking to me about one of the previous messages on how I talked about the different, the seven cycles that we see in the book of Judges. 
And uh, if you remember, if you were taking notes, you would remember. If you weren't taking notes, you will have completely forgotten what those are. But if you were taking notes, you'll remember that the four cycles all begin for five aspects of the cycle. Five is a number of grace in the Bible were rebellion. People of God rebelled against God. Second was retribution. God brought retribution against them. He, uh, and, and the third thing was uh, after retribution, after, in other words, once, once God disciplined them or once God allowed the neighboring nations to, to, to uh, dominate them and, and, and take control of them and defeat them, they cried out to God. So, first of all, rebellion, then retribution, then repentance. It's amazing how life's uh, difficulties can cause us to cry out to God. God wants us to do that before we go through all those things. So, the next thing was repentance. They cried out to God. Then what did God bring? God brought restoration. He raised up a judge who restored them and delivered them, and then they experienced rest. And guess what happened after they experienced rest for about 40 years? Then they rebelled again. And then there was retribution again. And then there was repentance again. And then there was restoration again. And then there was rest. And so the cycle goes on. And we think that only happened to apply to the nation of Israel several thousand years ago. No, those are the cycles we will go through in our lives, even in the New Testament church, if we decide that we want to go our own way and we want to take off in another direction. So we need to make, the, the Word of God makes it clear, the power of us taking upon ourselves the yoke that Jesus gives us. And He says to us, here's the good news, my yoke is easy. <sighs> my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's not onerous. It's not heavy. It's not oppressive. Third thing, watch me. Jesus says, watch me. Now, it's interesting that the disciples, how did they learn? They learned by watching Jesus. They walked with, they, they, they walked with him, they worked with him, and they watched him. For three and a half years, they didn't necessarily understand everything that was going on, but they watched him. And at the time of Jesus' public ministry, there were those who saw what he did. There were those who heard of what he did. But then there were those who watched what Jesus did intently. There was an intentionality about the way that they watched Jesus, not just because they wanted to observe what Jesus was doing, but they wanted to enter into what Jesus was doing. They wanted to participate in what Jesus was doing. And that required focus. Jesus always worked from a place of rest. And as we look at the, 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 the way that the disciples observed, they learned many things. We're talking about rest here. And Jesus approached rest from a totally different perspective to the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were the religious people of the day. They looked at rest as observance of the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. It was the day when God rested after the six days of his creation. Of course, Jesus, God did not need to rest because he was tired. He didn't need to rest because he was exhausted. He rested. The word rest means to contemplate, to observe the work of his hands, to be able to enjoy looking at his creation as we would at the end of a day when we thought that was a great day, we achieved a lot, we were able to create, we were able to build, we were able to do something meaning and significant. God did not rest because he was exhausted, but the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees had turned that day of rest into an idol. And so that day of rest became an idol to them rather than a principle. And Jesus wanted to teach them about the principle of rest. And interestingly, the New Testament, uh, many, of the, many, of the, many of the discussions and many of the criticisms that were made against Jesus were all to do with the Sabbath. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Jesus uh, set people free on the Sabbath. Jesus allowed his disciples to walk through the fields and, you know, take the grain from the wheat on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the disciples, you've forgotten that, that man was not created or man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, that our rest is, is it, it, it's not tied up in, in observance of ritual or a keeping a certain time or place. Our rest is found in our relationship in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, as New Testament believers, Jesus is our example. Jesus did not spend his life resting from a place of work. He didn't get to the Sabbath at the end of the week and go, oh, talk to his heavenly Father. Father, the disciples are driving me crazy. They were, but he didn't do that. He didn't say, I'm exhausted. I need to take a break by the Sea of Galilee. One of the most beautiful places on the planet, if you've never been there. I, I, no, Jesus took a rest, took, took, observed the Sabbath so he could contemplate. He could think about what they were able to achieve and what they were able to do together. And so then the first day of the week, which is the day that we celebrate, Sunday, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the first day, Jesus began to work from a place of rest. And last week I talked about the differences between resting from a place of work and working from a place of rest. And, and uh, the disciples understood that Jesus in his ministry always worked from a place of rest. Rest was his starting point. Rest was where he began. And as New Testament believers, we, we begin from a place of rest. I, I know that over the years and the church, and we've gone through an interesting season the last 18 months, but over the years, we've had church services and midweek services and, and churches all over the country have services. And I can remember, you know, a lot of times uh, people, I'm just hanging out, you know, I'm just going to make, I, I, I think I'm going to make it to Sunday, Sunday when I get my, my spiritual, you know, boost uh, uh, well, yeah, Sunday's a great day for getting filled spiritually. 
but we, can, we, we don't need to arrive at Sunday or on Friday evening. Ever notice that everyone seems to be happier Friday evening when work finishes for them? Um, no, we don't need to live that way. And last week I talked about it. We're going to put this up quickly. Our team, I gave them Mission Impossible because my computer crashed. But I want to put this up so that maybe you want to, uh, those of you that were taking notes, and I know a couple of people asked because I did this really quickly, the difference between resting from a place of work and working from a place of rest. If you're resting from a place of work, well, first of all, the, that's how the natural man functions. The natural man functions Resting from a place of work. We work and then we have to rest. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But the spiritual man works from a place of rest. Now, please forgive me for using the word man. I tried looking for an author, you know, the, the natural human or the spiritual human, because this is talking about men and women. When the Bible talks about the spiritual man, Paul is not leaving women out of the equation. Very quiet in here. That, that we're talking about man is speaking about mankind, humankind, people. But I tried to put people in there, but it didn't really sound too good. Natural people, spiritual people. Well, maybe that would work. It's very quiet. The natural man and the spiritual man. We work as if we're resting from a place of work, we work towards a rest. We can't wait for the vacation that's coming up. We can't wait for the weekend. That becomes our focus. Our focus is on getting to the end of the week, getting to that. We work towards a place of rest. When we're working from a place of rest, we understand that we're given rest. We, can, we, we, we are given rest as a gift, not something we have to work towards. When we're resting from a place of work, we work from break to break. We work from the last vacation we've had to the next vacation or from last weekend to the next weekend or from the break. You know, back in Australia, I know this is, they used to call it smoko. Would be a break during the day called smoko. In other words, that was a time when everyone could go out and have a smoke, smoke a cigarette or whatever. You know, people were hanging out for smoko. Isn't it time watching their watch, smoko? Because that's the next thing. When you... When you're, when you're working from a, 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 a resting from a place of work, you're, you're, you're watching the clock all the time. Whereas when you're resting from a place of work, your focus is progress. We're watching our progress. Rest is not a destination, it's a journey. It's something that we experience. And when you live your life resting from a place of work all the time, it's tiring. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God didn't create us to live that way. He created us to live energized by life, energized by what we're doing, energized by our work, energized by our calling. And so we, we live our life with that sense of life being integrated rather than compartmentalized. And when we live our lives trying to compartmentalize, it's mission impossible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to give this much time to God each day. I'm going to give this much time to my spouse each day. I'm going to give this much time to my kids each day. I'm going to give this much time to work. I'm going to give this much time to exercise. I'm going to give this much time to hanging out with my friends. I'm going to give this much time to serving God. I'm going to give this much time to my hobbies. That's mission impossible. 
And it's good to have order in our lives, and it's good to make things a priority, but we can't live our lives com continually compartmentalized, but rather we want to live when we're working from a place of rest, life is a whole lot more integrated. So I want to talk, highlight three things here. Watching involves three things. Watching involves observation, interpretation, and application. Observation, interpretation, and application. And they are the three basic rules of Bible study. When you pick up your Bible, when I pick up my Bible every day, there are three things that I do. I observe. Then I interpret what I have observed so that I can apply what I have observed and interpreted. Observation, interpretation, and application. And that's how the disciples learned by watching Jesus. And that's how we learn from reading about Jesus, and when we read in the Gospels what Jesus did, and when we watch and we observe what Jesus did, we ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus doing? Context is everything. Now, can I, can I just take a moment, if you're going to write down one thing today, write this down. Context is everything. Has anyone ever quoted you and taken you out of context? It's not nice. Because what happens is what you say becomes, takes on another meaning. Context is everything. And when we're reading the Bible, context is everything. I read something which made me laugh recently. And it was a friend of mine, Philip Wagner, who posted this on his Instagram account. And it was someone who had on their t-shirt, all things are possible when we take God's word out of context. I'm going to wait for you to get that, okay? All right. The scripture is, all things are possible to those who believe. But all things are possible to those who take God's Word out of context. If you take God's Word out of context, you can do anything. Thank you for that underwhelming response. And, and the, re the problem is that all across the world, people are taking God's Word out of context rather than observing, interpreting correctly according to the Scriptures and applying it. So, observation, what is Jesus doing? And they watched him closely. I don't know if you've watched The Chosen. It's a, a series on the life of Jesus. And if you haven't watched it, I don't normally do this, but I highly recommend that you take a moment to watch it. It is a very, very powerful presentation of the life of Jesus. You can download it on an app, free of charge. And it's a great depiction of Jesus. And I think it depicts the humanity of Jesus in a way that may, many other movies or renditions of Jesus have not done in the past. And I've really been enjoying watching it. Jesus' sense of humor, Jesus' interaction, uh, and it gives another fresh insight into the life of Jesus. And I'm observing as I watch it. And uh, 
it's funny, there's a one spot in there where I think it was Peter, when Peter first, when Peter starts following Jesus and Jesus calls Matthew, and maybe I've got the exact place incorrect, but the gist of it is this, that Peter is shocked that Jesus is asking Matthew, a tax collector, to become one of his disciples. And he basically says, Lord, that's very different. And Jesus says, yes, get used to different. (laughs) Because everything Jesus did was different. So observation, first of all, is the most important thing for us. What is Jesus doing? And when we watch Jesus, Jesus always works from a place of rest. He is never resting from a place of work. And even when one of the most, one of the most powerful encounters that took place between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, even at that moment when that took place, and culturally this was a this, culturally, this was kind of like Jesus was spinning the disciples out so much that he had to send them into town to, to go and get some food. Because Jesus knew that he had a divine encounter with a woman at a well. And when he had that divine encounter with the woman at the well, this woman came in the middle of the day to draw water. Why did she come during the middle of the day? There's some observation when you're reading the text, observation, she came during the middle of the day. Interpretation, why did she come during the middle of the day? She came during the middle of the day. Most people came to draw water in the cool of the day, in the morning or in the evening. She came in the middle of the day because she was an outcast, because she wasn't accepted by the people in her community because of her lifestyle. And so the middle of the day was the only time when she could come and no one would give her a hard time. And as she drew the water from the well, Jesus met her at the well in the middle of the day. And he had an encounter with her. And he had a conversation with her. And in that conversation, Jesus revealed many truths about his purpose. Here he was speaking to a Samaritan. Jews did not speak to Samaritans. Here he was traveling through Samaria. Most Jews went around Samaria when they traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem because they didn't want to contaminate themselves by walking through Samaria. Yet Jesus is walking through Samaria. Jesus is having a a conversation with a woman who's a Samaritan. And not only a woman who's a Samaritan, but a woman who has lived a promiscuous lifestyle. And he has a conversation with her, and, and in that conversation, he, he connects with her in such a powerful way that she runs into town to tell everyone, hey, come and meet someone who told me everything about my life, because Jesus had just read her book. And yet, having read her book that she was so ashamed of, so ashamed that she could only go to the well in the middle of the day, yet Jesus loved her. Jesus accepted her, not because of her lifestyle, but because of who she was as a human being, who she was as an individual. And as that happened, or prior to her running back into town, the disciples came and saw Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, and they said they, they, were, they were completely con- 
dumbfounded. They didn't know what to say, and all that they they, they were amazed. And 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 when uh, they asked Jesus to eat, and Jesus didn't eat, Jesus said, "I have food to eat of that you do not know, and my food is to do the will of my Father." And in that profound statement. Jesus made a statement that all of us can enter into. Our food is to do the will of our Father. Our rest is found in the will of our Father. Our strength is found in the will of our Father. Our energy is found in the will of our Father. And if we can walk with Jesus... If we can work with Jesus and we can watch Jesus, we can begin to enter into that rest and we can begin to apply those principles to our lives. Next week, I want to unpack this a little further because there's some important things about how we enter into that rest by faith. How we have to run through the gauntlet in order to enter into that faith and into that rest. But I will keep that for another time. Would you stand with me? Come on, let's get the worship team up here. Let me pray for you. Can I ask you for a moment just to pause, to take a moment to close your eyes and open your heart and open your spirit. Jesus said, come to me and he invites us to walk with him to work with him and to watch him and whatever's going on in your life right now whatever's happening in your world and we're all facing distractions we're all facing challenges we're all facing things that are happening in our world so much uncertainty so many things that are taking place and yet God in the midst of it is the God of peace. He's the God of rest. He's a God who can cause us to know what it is to rest and be still. And he says, be still and know that I am God. And I want to encourage you to take a moment to pause and to be still. And we're going to worship God for a moment. And during this moment, can you open your heart and open your spirit? And as the book of Hebrews 4 verse says, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Let us be focused on entering into that rest that we find not in what's going on around us, but we find in Jesus himself. Come on, let's worship God together. I want you to put your hands up. Close your eyes and just connect with God this morning. And say, Father, I need you. May his faith be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children. And their children, may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children, may his favor 
Father, we thank you that you send your son, Jesus, to demonstrate that you are for us. Thank you, Jesus, that we can receive that rest that you promised, true rest, because you invited us to come to you. And Lord, we not only want to come to you, we want to walk with you. We want to work with you. And we want to watch you so that we can enter into those unforced rhythms of grace that you bring through the work of your Holy Spirit. I pray for each person here, Lord, that today your peace and your rest would settle into our hearts. But Lord, because we enter into that rest by faith, not because of our works, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you have done. And so because of that, we can enter into your throne room of grace boldly. We can enter into your rest and we can know your rest and your peace. And I thank you that out of that will come strength and new life and energy. And that we can enter this week with a sense of hope and faith. And that we can live our lives working from a place of rest, walking from a place of rest and fulfilling our God-given purpose and destiny. Do the work that only you can do, Holy Spirit, in each one of our hearts. We receive your peace. We receive your rest. We enter into your peace. 
we enter into your rest. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you're here today in our service or if you're watching online, either now or at a later time when you watch this uh, recording, or maybe listening to the podcast, I want to take a moment to invite you to respond to those words of Jesus where he said, Come to me, all you that are weary or heavy laden. Maybe you've never known anything other than religion. Maybe you've never even known about the possibility of being connected to your heavenly Father because of what Jesus did on the cross, of knowing Jesus personally as your Savior. And so today we want to give you that opportunity and you say, how do I do that? Simply by doing what Jesus said. He said, come to me. You are coming to Jesus this morning and you are saying, yes, I receive you as my Savior. I recognize that when you died on the cross, you died in my place so that I could be forgiven. You are giving me an opportunity to know what it is to have my slate wiped clean, to have a fresh start, to have a new beginning, to know your spirit at work on the inside of me, to know your peace, to know a sense of divine purpose and destiny, and to know that when I go out into eternity, I'm going out into an eternity in your presence, knowing the fullness of joy that you prepared for all those who accept you, Jesus, as their Savior. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to pray this from your heart this morning. God's going to hear your prayer, and He's going to answer your prayer. This will be a new day and a new beginning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place so that I could be forgiven and I could receive the gift of eternal life. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. And I believe that from this day on, I'm going to know your presence and purpose and power at work in my life. I determine to follow you, to walk with you, to work with you, and to watch you. And I thank you for the free gift in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God. Thank God for His grace and goodness and if you prayed that prayer, if either if you're here today or you're watching online, we have a book called Following Jesus that we'd love to give you as a gift. We also have a group that meets here before our Sunday morning service every Sunday morning at 9.30 for about 20 minutes. You can grab a cup of coffee and talk about some of the fundamentals of our faith. And whether you just received Christ as your Savior or you want to find out more about that, we'd love you to join that group.